Okay, welcome into the Three Guys Talking Ball podcast. It is episode 41, the Glenn Davis edition. For those of you who don't know him, he's the 1956 Heisman winner from Army. So a little bit of trivia help make you smarter today and got a lot going on. We're uh, going to shift back to just one episode a week. We tried two, didn't work out. Maybe in the future we'll find a way to make it work out, but it's just one. A lot happened in a week, and we're going to preview the week ahead. But our friend, our brother in college football, <laughs> Nate Rohr, joins us. He's the public address announcer for Nebraska. This is a, his third time here on the Degress podcast slash Three Guys Talking Ball podcast. Love talking to him. And obviously, Nate, there, there were some things that happened over the weekend in Nebraska. A little bit, a little bit. There, there were some events. I mean, uh, obviously the loss to Georgia Southern uh, was a shock and uh, that led to the firing of Scott Frost. I mean, after the loss at Northwestern, I think Scott's uh, margin for error was pretty narrow. And if you have a narrow margin for error, it's not good for your continued employment to lose to a Sunbelt team that is being paid $1.4 million for the privilege of, uh, of playing you. So uh, I, I was a little surprised that Trev Alberts pulled the trigger uh, after that Georgia Southern game. Um, it's been reported uh, that uh, Scott's buyout is between 15 and $16 million, um, and he'll be getting all that. Had Nebraska waited until after October 1st, it would have fallen to seven and a half million dollars. However, um, Nebraska plays Oklahoma this week, and that game is the big noon kickoff game on Fox. So they're going to have the pregame show at Memorial Stadium, and and it just was not tenable to have that whole two hours focused on what has happened and the disappointments that have occurred. Uh, and so I think. To Trev Alberts, it was worth the extra money to move on and and begin the next chapter of Husker football, however it might end up looking. And and though it's pretty stiff price to pay, uh, at the same time, Trev Alberts seems willing to pay it. Yeah. And you you were obviously there. You were calling the game. What was kind of the vibe after that game where you, you said you were caught off off guard did you hear any rumblings within memorial stadium of this possibly happening or what was uh what was kind of that vibe around around lincoln i'm obviously his fans were very upset but i, I know you were with could be possibly around administration was there what what i guess yeah main question is what was the vibe around lincoln after saturday's game well, I don't know if, if it was widely anticipated that Scott would be fired uh, the next day. Uh, I think most Nebraska fans would would say that game sealed his fate. Um, and, and, you know, whether Scott had been fired um, after that October 1st date or Sunday as he ended up being fired, uh, I think most Nebraska fans – 
that Georgia Southern loss crossed a line uh, in the minds of a lot of Nebraska fans and a lot of Nebraska people. And, uh, you know, you have a Georgia Southern team under Clay Helton, who's a good coach, and you don't want to take anything away from them. But, uh, you know, he's in only his second game as a head coach. And yet Georgia Southern puts up 45 points, puts up 640 total yards of offense, third most by an opponent against Nebraska historically. And and they're in just their second game of a transition from an option offense to a more balanced offense. So I I think that was the nail in the coffin in a lot of Husker fans' minds as to, okay, Scott Frost isn't going to work out here this this isn't going to work. Uh, the the student section chanted "Fire Frost." That's the first time that's happened. Ooh. So so I I think everybody walking out of Memorial Stadium had a pretty good idea that Scott Frost's tenure was going to be coming to an end very soon. I think people were a little surprised at how soon it was. Again, mindful that that buyout number was going to drop so much in three weeks. Yeah. Uh, Grant, I'll let you uh, take it away here for a couple. So, yeah. So Nate, if, like I said, three games into the season, he really, you know, Scott didn't, you know, that's all he got. If I'm Nebraska's administration, almost why not just pull the trigger before, you know, after last season, mm-hmm. um, instead of waiting three games, because now I feel like you're in transition with the interim head coach. What's it going to be like after the season? How can you recruit to get better players coming into the year? I, it almost kind of feels like this is a waste now. Um, I, I might, might be wrong, but. Well, I, I think that under normal circumstances, just average head coach, uh, you have four losing seasons. Very, very, very few head coaches would expect to be brought back for a fifth, but when you remember the hoopla and the excitement around Scott Frost hiring and, and all the expectations and all the hope that surrounded his hiring, I, I think Nebraska had to make absolutely sure that, that he was not going to work out here. Um, he retooled his staff significantly in the off season. Mickey Joseph, uh, who is now the interim coach he brought in from LSU, Scott seated play calling duties to Mark Whipple, uh, who triggered a pretty potent offense at Pittsburgh. They brought in a new running backs coach, a new O-line coach. So uh, I think Trev wanted to, Trev Alberts, and he said this, by the way, in his press conference on Sunday, he did not want to fire uh, Scott Frost. So often athletic directors come in and they inherit a coach, football, basketball, whatever, and they have it in their head that they need to make a change. Uh, and, and they and there's nothing that coach can do short of winning a championship that would stave off their being forced out. And Nebraska's seen that on a couple of occasions. Steve Peterson, when he was aired in uh, December of 2002, in a lot of ways, it was for the express purpose of putting heat on Frank Solich. I mean, so I, I think Trev was on the other end of that. Trev did not want to fire Scott Frost and wanted incontrovertible evidence, uh, despite having given Scott every chance in the world 
um, that that he was just not going to work out as head football coach. And, you know, when you when you start this season one and two with full knowledge that that you're at risk, that's kind of the evidence you're looking for. <laughs> All right. Um. So, do do you did you get the you've been calling games since 2016? Have you had conversations with Scott before? Do you know? scott at all in any sense just a tiny little bit and actually uh, that knowledge came from my prior life um as uh, working for the uh, for the radio network uh when he would come in for his coach's show uh otherwise i had very 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 little contact with scott and, and so you know my my impression of him is probably pretty similar to uh, you know just a lot of fans and uh, people on the outside because you know the football program is such a big machine uh the the old pa guys pretty far down the list okay yeah and and we'll backtrack a little bit you mentioned the press this trev albert's press conference and i think everybody wanted it to work and at the time it, mm-hmm. it was a thousand percent the right hire. He was the hot new thing. He had turned around a central Florida program that two years ago. Was <laughs> and the, there, there's no, there's no bones about it that when Nebraska is at its peak of college football, college football is a heck of a lot better. This it's one of the most passionate fan bases. You know, this, I, I don't know off the top of my head. They've sold out how many games in a row they have one of the coolest- 387. 387. Okay. That's a lot of seasons. Um, Since 19 November of 62. November of 62. Okay. My dad was two years old then for people keeping track. And I, I, I watched the presser because I'm with, with the hope of getting you on. Thank we got you coming on. So thank you again for joining us. But he talked about, and he, he mentioned some things that, and he did catch himself to say that this wasn't indicative or something about Scott, but he talked about how he want, wanted coaches who do the small fundamental things. He wants to small fundamental things to win games. He, a guy that's all about the process, detail-oriented, um, people of character, people managers, culture builders, grinders, authentic leadership. Is And I don't – have you heard of – and I've also seen on – a TikTok of Mike Michael Severi Severe. I I hope mm-hmm. I'm saying that right. Michael Severe, yeah. And it was from Cornfed Andy on TikTok. He talked. Michael was talking about how there was there was a lack. Felt like there was a lack of commitment from Scott. Um, he was showing up late to practice. Assistant coaches were going to the AD saying things were happening. Are 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 is there any truth to that, or do you have any knowledge, or are there any? stories that would confirm where it led to the scott's demise yeah you know i i would have no firsthand knowledge of um a a lack of commitment on scott frost's part um and it would be irresponsible for me to to speculate on on something like that you know whether it's being late for practice or just a a general sense of, of a lack of commitment i mean when you're losing, rumors fly, stories fly, um, but you know, I it, it's tough to substantiate anything. I, I can 
tell you what I saw on the field. All right. And it was a team that had plenty of talent. As you look back on the recruiting rankings, the last four years, five years, Nebraska was routinely the most talented team by recruiting ranking in the Big Ten West. And I mean, your mileage may vary with that. It's not determinant of anything, but it's at least a a beginning indicator of where things are and maybe where they should be. Yet it didn't seem like many players developed very well. Uh, You look at this Nebraska team this year and almost all the significant contributors on offense in terms of skill guys are our transfers are are people that have been brought in. I mean, basically everybody who touches the ball regularly uh, is a transfer and and at a place like Nebraska. And and I know the, the college football is the college football world is different to where transfers are just going to be a larger part of, of the player diet, but you still have to be able to develop guys. You still have to be able to take a guy as a raw 18 year old freshman, lock him in the weight room for two years, feed him steak, get him big and strong and, and get him uh, to a division one level and especially on the lines. And when you look at Nebraska's offensive line play this year, and Nebraska's front seven defensive play this year, it's not been very good. Uh, Nebraska just has not been able to stop the run against a couple of teams. I mean, Northwestern Hull is one of the top running backs in this league, and they have a very good offensive line, but at the same time, that's all they have. Um, and then you look you look at uh, the Georgia Southern team that, that came to Lincoln, and Nebraska couldn't stop them flat out could not stop them from running the ball. Um, so when, when you hear Trev Alberts talk about fundamentals, small things, line play, he, he wants to see better offensive and defensive lines. I mean, you guys have seen the Big Ten. The Big Ten's a trenches league. It's not – and that therein might have been Scott's biggest downfall is the fact that you think about those UCF teams that won and that succeeded, and even the Oregon teams that really made Scott's bones uh, when he was their offensive coordinator. They were speed. They were edge guys. They were getting, you know, getting the ball out in space. Well, that works to an extent in the Big Ten, but it doesn't work the way it does in the Pac-12 or in the American Athletic Conference. And in, in the Big Ten, especially the Big Ten West, you've got to be great up front. And I think it's been a long time since Nebraska has been. Okay. Uh, Grant, you can then, go ahead. Yeah, Nate, I was going to say the inter- interim head coach, <coughs> former wide receiver um, for the Huskers, is there a sense that he can kind of, you know, rally the troops and get, and get these guys going for the rest of the season to try to come together and win some games or unfortunately on the staff was this kind of just the lesser of all the evils and that's why he was you know chosen as the interim coach well mickey joseph is the guy that was selected as interim coach he was the wide receivers coach he was formerly a quarterback at nebraska in the late 80s and early 90s and and he's had kind of a nomadic but successful coaching journey before he came to nebraska this year, uh, he was the wide receivers coach at LSU and had had just a ton of success coaching wide receivers at LSU. 
uh, Mickey is from the New Orleans area and so uh, knows Louisiana well and has already been an asset in terms of recruiting in that area and bringing in players from there. Um, it, I, I'll refer to the news conference with Trev Alberts on Sunday that uh, Mickey, he, he pushed forward Mickey as one of the people that's going to be in the mix uh, for this job, whether it's, you know, on the front line, whether he can play himself into uh, very serious consideration, um, whether it's kind of a, a long shot candidacy, that remains to be seen. Uh, if the team really responds to him, I think Nebraska will think long and hard about him as a head coach. There's a lot to like about Mickey in terms of how he recruits, how he not just gets talent, because that really hasn't been a problem, again, relatively speaking, for Nebraska. But he develops it, and he routinely turned out NFL-caliber wide receivers at LSU. Uh, and Mickey's also rebuilt relationships between Omaha and, and Lincoln. This is sort of the inside baseball stuff here in the state of Nebraska, but the Huskers have had a surprising amount of difficulty recruiting the city of Omaha over the last five to 10 years. I mean, and, and some of it is a marginal prospect going, I won't walk on at Nebraska. I'll go play for North Dakota state and, and play for a championship and, and uh, options being more attractive in that way. But some of it too is Nebraska. I think, for quite a while has taken Omaha for granted and, and has seen Omaha as an extension of the rest of the state where in the rest of the state of Nebraska, if you're a high school kid and Nebraska offers you, you're going, you're going to Nebraska because you grew up around Nebraska fans. You, you yourself are almost certainly a Nebraska fan. Everyone you know is a Nebraska fan. Everyone your parents know is a Nebraska fan. But in the city of Omaha, because it's a larger city, because of Offutt Air, uh, Air Force Base, the larger corporations, people move in and out. And, and so, yes, the Huskers are the most popular team in the city of Omaha, and, and they have the biggest fan base in the city. Uh, and, and you're probably a Husker fan if you grow up in Omaha. At the same time, it isn't as deep a default as the rest of the state and, and mickey joseph has done a good job in restoring a strong title omaha i think essentially taking omaha as being out of state almost saying if there's a kid in omaha we like we have to recruit him just as hard so i think that's an asset and so uh, mickey joseph is a part of trev albert's coaching search and uh you know he has the advantage in these next nine games to, to show what he can do against a Big Ten schedule plus Oklahoma. So, uh, like I said, I don't know if he's candidate A1. I don't know how many games he has to win. But I, I think Trev was pretty straightforward in saying that Mickey Joseph will factor in in some way. Yeah. Oh, well, Ian, you, you brought up the Omaha pipeline because NDSU's benefited tremendously. I can, I can name off a handful of guys from that Omaha area, Christian Dudzik, 
uh, played safety. He didn't get any trout in the NFL, but he was a phenomenal player for the Bison. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Easton Stick, yep. the winningest quarterback, our, his high school teammate, RJ Erzendowski, uh, Kyle Emanuel, uh, Nick DeLuca. Uh, and if we go up to the north of Fargo, Greg Harden was an Omaha guy who played at UND, and now I believe he's coaching at Syracuse or somewhere over on the East Coast. It's. Mm-hmm. And and before I know I think we talked about it on the on our the first podcast you and I were on together that you talked about when Nebraska finally beat Miami. Believe some most most of the guys that made the plays that helped propel Nebraska over that hump were Omaha guys. Right. Yeah, and and you know, you think about it, not just North Dakota, North Dakota State, but also South Dakota and South Dakota State. Yep. And the fact that they are D are D one schools, uh, they're more attractive options in a recruit's mind. And, and a, it's really been kind of a perfect storm with all four Dakota schools rising to division one status. Uh, and, and they also get games on television and, uh, you know, they'll usually get a, a power five non-conference game, at least at some point in your career. Uh, you also have Northwest Missouri State uh, down in Maryville, Missouri, which is very close. And it's just siphoned off those mid-level players, those high mid-level players who would come in, who were a little raw, who needed some time. But in the end, they would add depth. And, and maybe they wouldn't start for you by the time they were a senior, but they'd be a rotation tackle. You know, they'd be your third defensive tackle. Or they would they would help you out on special teams, and, and Nebraska sorely lacked that. Um, so that's something that the next coach is going to have to deal with. It was interesting during Scott Frost's tenure uh, because the roster size ebbed and flowed. Nebraska's legendary for having a massive walk-on program, and the 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 roster is usually 150, 160 guys. And there was one point where Scott was asked, you know, just in general, what are you getting from the walk-ons? And he said, well, you know, some of them are out here to work and some of them are here to pick up Adidas sweats, you know? And, and, and in this day and age of college football, where you can have 110 and no more in the early part of camp, you know, you can only dress, I think, 74 for Big Ten games. Is it realistic feasible useful to have 30 or 40 guys show up on the first day of school that have absolutely no shot of playing in a game that that's something i think the next coach is going to have to evaluate because it's been taken as husker gospel that the walk-on program is important and central to nebraska's success and can only be successful if it's massive well you know, if you're talking about player 130 on the roster, is that really useful? Yeah. And well, I think like you were saying, the Nebraska's the big draw in the state. And I think I think it's important because it, it gives that program an identity of the hard work, the grit, all the things that made that that under Tom Osborne great is those guys that grew up, they have great pride in the state, in the program. And it feels like Nebraska has lost that a little bit where there isn't like for what we said, where they're 
they've lost guys to North Dakota, North Dakota State, South Dakota State schools, Missouri, Kansas. And I think is there less, maybe less talent in the state of Nebraska or surrounding area than nationally? Yes. But those guys don't know what, for example, this week, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Missouri, they don't know what those games are. Those, the people, the kids that grew up around Nebraska, they know all about those big eight games because their grandparents told the stories about Mm -hmm. them. Their parents told the stories about them. And I guess I'll transition into my question here is, if Trev Alberts comes to you, Nate Rohr, what, and asks what you w- are looking for in the next head coach for the Huskers, what, what would you tell him? Well, I would say a coach that limits mistakes, that doesn't lose games, because more games are lost than won. And I know that sounds really simplistic. I want a coach that scores more points than the other team. How about that? No, but it, I, I want to a coach who builds the discipline in his team to where they're not heavily penalized and they don't give the ball away. And if they can take the ball away, all the better, but at the very least don't give it away. Uh, Scott Frost's teams at Nebraska and Mike Riley's before that were very turnover prone and, and were very prone to high penalty numbers. So does your team beat itself? It, if the answer is yes, then then we we cross you off the list. If if your team doesn't beat itself, the other question is: Can you develop good lines, offensive and defensive lines? Can you give me victories in the trenches? Uh, and then in general, can you develop talent? Uh, that that's kind of where I would start. And, and I think Trev Alberts alluded to some of that uh, on Sunday in terms of what he was talking about. Uh, he also talked about, you know, dedication to coaching and the guys that don't have a whole lot of hobbies, <laughs> which, you, you know, whatever works for you. I mean, there, there are some coaches that sleep in the office that win like crazy. There are some coaches that sleep in the office that go 500. You know, there are some coaches that go fishing on Thursdays that win like crazy. There are some coaches that fish on Thursdays that, that don't win. So, it, but the big thing for me is, Limit your mistakes, be good in the trenches, and you're going to be, you're going to be able to do some things. Uh, You're going to be competitive in the Big Ten West. And from there, hopefully, you can then build on that scaffold to go win a Big Ten championship. And then, Nate, um, here in a couple of years, you know, the Big Ten, this new media deal with Fox, CBS, NBC, bringing in USC and UCLA to the conference. Do you think with the, the new teams and the new TV and media deal, could that possibly be more enticing to a possible head coach candidate? Because one, now we can possibly go out and recruit kids from California because you're going to say you can go out and play there each year and with a little more money that the schools will bring in with this TV deal, could that help the program too? So could that maybe help a a coach think, you know what, maybe this Nebraska job is for me? Well, I think it allows Nebraska to be a little more aggressive. Um, you know, you wonder if Trev Alberts would have felt like he would have had the, the ammo to work with if he didn't know the big TV money was coming, the ammo to work with to, to give Scott Frost the larger buyout 
uh, despite it dropping in half uh, on October 1st. So just from the standpoint of money, uh, the new Big Ten teams are going to help a lot. And, and that's money for the head coach. That's money for whatever assistance he wants. That's money for whatever support staff he wants. I mean, I don't know how many people uh, Nick Saban has on his staff just watching film. Uh, I, I remember seeing when Florida took its team picture and <laughs> Florida had something like 130 players. And, yeah. And, you know, 150 guys in polos. I mean, from athletic trainers, strength coaches, you know, your typical position coaches, GAs, quality control, et cetera, et cetera. All the TV money allows you to build that staff as big as you want it. Um, from a facility standpoint, Nebraska is opening a new football-only facility, you know, for weight room, locker room, practices, et cetera, next year. And I, you can put all the bells and whistles you want to in it. And, and you, you mentioned the ability to recruit California. And I think that's pretty useful because one thing that has hurt Nebraska in the move to the Big Ten, when Nebraska was in the Big 12, they recruited Texas pretty extensively. They, they would get a kid here and there from Florida, and they would get a kid here and there from California. But Texas was one of the staples of the recruiting diet and had been even back to the big eight days. So even before Nebraska was playing the Texas schools in conference games, uh, they, they would recruit Texas. And at the very least, you could tell them, hey, we're going to be in your neighborhood at least once with against Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. And then later on, a couple of years, a couple of games every year against the Texas schools. So when Nebraska moved to the Big Ten, they, they really lost access to, to, the, to the one of the big three football talent states that they had uh, to recruit to because, you know, kids, kids from Texas want to play in Texas, at least at some point in their career. Same with Florida, same with California. Well, the reopening of California as a recruiting market helps. It absolutely helps. And, and it deepens your pool. And it's also, you know, if you're, it's also California's, yeah, you can find linemen there, but what you can really find are skill position players there. And that's typically not what the state of Nebraska, the 500 mile footprint uh, tends to produce. So it's not only, so it, there's not only quality there, but it also fills a need on your roster that, that you're typically not able to fill in this area. So, yeah, I, I think the addition of UCLA and USC is really helpful to, to Nebraska trying to rebuild it. One other thought is, you know, you look at California kids, for whatever reason, it's easier to get a California kid out of California to play for you than it is for a Texas kid to leave the state or a Florida kid to leave the Southeast. So, you know, it, it, you're not just going into talent, you're going into talent you can get. So I think that all helps out. Okay. Yeah. And so they have play Oklahoma this week. It's the big noon kickoff game of the week at 
well, in Mountain Time, it's 10 o'clock, 11 Central, where both Nate and Grant are in the Central Time Zone. Nate will be on the call, so if you guys are watching, you'll be able to hear him over Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson. He's he 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 did tick off a few Iowa fans last year for his third down calls, but <laughs> I was but, pretty proud of that. I'm not gonna lie. I I laughed and uh, <laughs> uh, so what what what's something we can expect out of a Mickey Joseph led team or something that you want you are looking for against Oklahoma this week? You know, I I just want to see how much. First off, just a general fire emotional picture that the the image that sticks with me that speaks to sort of some trouble uh with the emotional makeup of the team uh comes from halftime in the nebraska northwestern game and i remember that and i think nebraska missed a long field goal at the end of the half and you looked at the players they might even have been ahead and i think nebraska had like a three-point lead at halftime but it looked like they had been beat over the head with a shovel. That their their body language was not good, and and that just worried me, and and that raised some big red flags for me as to where the team was. So where is their emotional fight, even when things are going bad, even if Oklahoma is able to move the ball? Because look, the Sooners have a very good offense, and Nebraska could play its best game defensively. Uh, and, and still give up quite a bit in terms of yards and points. Uh, Mickey Joseph mentioned he wanted to make physicality a greater focus. He talked about increasing the tackling in practice. And so I want to see sure tackling. I think that's, that's the most concrete football thing that hopefully we see this week uh, it is sure tackling because Nebraska's tackling this year has, has been poor. Uh, I, I don't think anybody, even a defensive player, would argue with that. Uh, they've had real trouble just making tackles. Uh, so can they, can they get a guy down on first hit, which is going to be doubly critical against pretty high-powered Oklahoma offense? Okay. And so, got Grant, you got any other any questions? So I was just kind of on the broad um... – scope of you know a coaching search do you think nebraska as a brand is viewed as you know a top 10 top five job that maybe it was 10 years ago are they going to be able to get their version of a guy or is trev albert and his um staff going to have to really go through this interview process and um filter through some candidates and say you know hey this person he's built a program before or we have confidence that this person can do what we want um, to get that new head coach at Nebraska next year? Well, I think there are a lot of reasons why Nebraska is a good place to coach right now. Um, the, the monetary support and just the psychological support uh, from the fans uh, is, is second to none. I don't know that it's a top 10 job, you know, when you, when you go down the 10 best jobs in college football. It probably isn't there. But there are a lot of advantages to being Nebraska's head football coach. Uh, you, you will have every resource you want in, in terms of trying to build your team and trying to recruit your team. Uh, the NIL money should be a real advantage for Nebraska because 
any player who comes to the University of Nebraska is automatically a statewide star. And so if you're a, if you're a player and that matters to you, Nebraska is a pretty favorable place to go. So, and, and, you know, who doesn't want more money, right? So, so that, that makes the task of recruiting a football team at Nebraska, which can be difficult because of the lack of talent, the lack of population. But the NIL money helps to equalize that and maybe even overcome it. But you have phenomenal support. You have phenomenal resources. The one thing that might make this job even a little more attractive than after the Mike Riley firing, but especially after the Bo Pelini firing is the fact that, you know, the last seven years have been pretty rough. Um, whereas under Bo Pelini, they were a nine-win team every year. They went to a bowl game every year. They couldn't get over that hump, but they got there every year. Well, Nebraska's had one winning season out of the last seven. And I, it, you could feel it coming into this year that people were not talking about winning the Big Ten West. And, and the fact that that was off people's radars, you know, would have been inconceivable to me if he had asked me about where Nebraska's fans' expectations were at the beginning of the Frost era or even at the beginning of the Riley era. Uh, so the expectations are a little more manageable right now than what they used to be. I mean, it was one thing when Nebraska was going out there and trying to hire a coach after firing Frank Solich, who had taken Nebraska to a national championship game two years before, had had nine wins every year but one, had been a longtime decorated assistant coach. You know, a lot of members of the coaching community said, well, geez, if they're running him out of the building, I have no chance. And the same thing when Nebraska fired Bo Pelini. I think a lot of coaches looked at Bo's success and said, well, geez, if that's not good enough for him, then I'm in trouble. Well, that bar is lowered a little bit. I mean, now, the minute Nebraska has some success, that bar probably goes up. But at least early, at least at the beginning, I think the expectations are about as manageable at Nebraska as they've been in some time, which allows you to take advantage of the great resources, the great support. I, I think people just want solid fundamental football again. And, and so if you're able to provide that as a coach, uh, you're going to do pretty well from the start. And then hopefully you can use those resources to go farther. Okay. And I have one question. We'll get you out of here, Nate. So thank you again for joining us. Sure. Like we said, Nebraska, Oklahoma this week, big noon kickoff. You'll be able to hear him. What do you growing up in Nebraska? There's plenty of history between these two teams. Do you have a memorable moment from throughout your childhood to now of a Nebraska Oklahoma game you could share with us? Well, I've got a little of both because uh, unfortunately, by the time I came into my fandom in the early 90s, Nebraska, Oklahoma was kind of a legend. Uh, Barry Switzer had retired. Nebraska won the last five uh, NUOU games in the Big Eight. Uh, but it was always um, an important game because it was the day after Thanksgiving. You'd get together with your family off, and I'd, I'd go over to my grandpa's house 
and we'd have leftover turkey and mashed potatoes and such from the Thanksgiving feast the day before. Um, but my one, I'll give you two memories from games because after OU fell off the schedule for the first time uh, after the 97 season, of course, they got Bob Stoops, they rebuilt 2000. They came back from two scores down to beat Nebraska. Uh, of course, the 01 game uh, where Eric Crouch uh, caught, the, caught the pass from the wing back uh, and Nebraska won it 20 to 10. Oklahoma was number two in the BCS. Nebraska was number one. Uh, that, that was a huge memory. Uh, in fact, I just uh, produced a feature on that game that'll run in the uh, lengthy Huskers radio network pregame show on Saturday. The other memory I have, and it might have been the high point of the Bo Pelini era, uh, the 2009 Oklahoma game. Uh, OU came to Nebraska, as it turns out, the last time they visited Lincoln as a conference rival of the Huskers. And uh, Landry Jones was starting at quarterback for him. Sam Bradford had gotten knocked out with an injury. Uh, and Nebraska picked him off, picked him off five times. And of course, Memorial Stadium was rocking. And that game was critical in Nebraska winning the Big 12 North that year. So those are kind of my two big game memories. Um, and, and, you know, I've seen the tape from the game of the century, the 78 game in Lincoln that uh, was Tom Osborne's first uh, win over Oklahoma. It, e even if you didn't live those games, they're still important to you because you know how much they meant to Nebraska and how much this rivalry means to Nebraska. I mean, for a 30-year period, the winner of this game not only probably won the Big Eight, but they also were playing for a national championship in the Orange Bowl. So there's just such an importance on this game. And the other part is, is that there was a great respect. I mean, especially in the Big Eight years, it was Nebraska and it was Oklahoma and it was everybody else. I mean, Colorado was the nouveau riche team that tried to push their way into that club. But for a long, 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 long time in the big eight, it was Nebraska, Oklahoma, and then six other teams. And so there, there is a deep respect between Nebraska and Oklahoma. Um, I'm sure there'll be uh, ceremonies honoring Oklahoma teams and, and Barry Switzer I, I think Barry Switzer's coming uh, to Lincoln for the game. I, I'm anticipating him being introduced. I, don't, I haven't seen a script for the game or anything, but uh, there's such respect between Nebraska and Oklahoma fans uh, that this is a very special rivalry and a very important part of, of Nebraska football. Okay. All right. Well, Nate, I was hoping to do this have have you on when Michigan and Nebraska were going to play, but obvious circumstances let you on sooner, which we're always happy to chat with you. So thank you again, Nate. And who knows, we might have you on uh, Michigan, Nebraska week. Hey, I had nothing wrong with that. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Nate. You thanks, bet. Nate. See you, gentlemen. Oh. Almost uh, lost my mixer there. We'll see you guys. <laughs> see you, Nate. All right. Well, thank you again to Nate for joining us. That was uh, that was a good conversation. It it was some good good insight 
And I, we Grant, you and I both have dogged on Nebraska for a lot, but for about both, seven years, about seven yeah, years now. But we both agree that college football is better when they're better. It makes the Big Ten better. It makes games better. And Memorial Stadium is always rocking. It, it it's a fan base that deserves better. Correct. And then to see, you know, every home game, the first touchdown, 85,000 red balloons in the air. Um, there's just, there's kind of a buzz and excitement when, um, like, I remember when Nebraska first came to the Big Ten in 2011. I was some young 17 year old kid, um, senior year of high school. And their first home game in the Big Ten was against Ohio State. I remember watching that game, you know, probably ABC, seven o'clock, Mushburger, Herbie. It was the talk of the college football weekend, and it was a fantastic atmosphere. And I think Nebraska ended up winning that game. I could be wrong. But yeah. That, that was the year Ohio State. You know, they were six and six because of the whole tattoo ring thing that got trestle fired. Should have been in jail. Should all be um, in jail. Um, so, you know, it was that year for the Buckeyes, but just the buzz around Memorial Stadium that day was, was fun to see. And um, like you said, it's just, it, they're one of those blue bloods where you hate to say this, but college football is better when they are good. Same with USC, same with Miami, probably the three teams I despise the most, <laughs> uh, but they're good for the sport. And uh, you know, we, we, we need them as college football fans. So maybe Nebraska will turn this around. Um, you know, we can only hope. Because as of right now, you know, the, the Big Ten, they need a little pizzazz. Because right now, it's almost like we need to scrap the divisions and just do what the Pac-12 has and have the two best teams play for the title, which would be a rematch back-to-back weeks. Yeah. And, well, speaking of teams you despise, do you have any comment on the Iowa-Iowa State game? Um, it's just, again, embarrassing. I mean, <laughs> how can – you put it on offense out there and, and be proud of that. Um, I understand for Iowa's sake, just like Nebraska, you're not going to have the best skilled players in America, but to go out there with two walk-ons as you, well, th- two of your three receivers are walk-ons, your offensive line, it looks like it's getting progressively worse each year when, you know, I was known for having great offensive linemen. That's why you go to that school incompetent, um, you know, quarterback play, why you have an offensive coordinator who's an f- offensive coordinator who's a former offensive lineman, but he's your quarterback's coach. You can't develop players like that. Just to put a product out there, it's really, it's just kind of embarrassing. And like you said last week, Dylan, you know, um, after that South Dakota State game, it was like getting a root canal. Well, this week felt like a lobotomy. I felt like someone was sticking <laughs> a needle in my eye the whole time. And it, it was just awful. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, these next 10 games, if things don't get turned around, they're going to be extremely hard to watch. And this is the most upsetting part about it. It's not going to be fun watching it. There's not going to be no enjoyment because uh, you just, they're going to have to grind and, and grit your way to, to 14 points. And it's like, this, this isn't just fun to watch. This is an offense. So. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, coming into the year, you think Nevada six 30 on a Saturday night in Kinnick, this will be easy, but I, I don't know. I, 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 can this offense put it together and score two touchdowns in a game? Let's wait and see. 
Well, and the, they opened as 23 point fa- 23 and a half point favorites against Nevada. And they, they I, it's hard to give, put them as a 23 and a half point favorite when they haven't scored 23 points listen, all year. Listen to, this, listen to this, dude. This is the craziest stat. Uh, I, I, I know what's they, coming. They've scored 14 points and they've punted the ball 16 times. <laughs> Of those 14 points, there's a field goal and two safeties. The defense has forced more turnovers in three than Iowa has scored touchdowns this year in one. Iowa has more blocked punts this year than they have scored touchdowns. I mean, when you play an Iowa State team who's frankly not a good team, um, they're they're going to be fighting to get to six and six, seven and five this year. When you force three turnovers and block two punts. How, how do you lose? How do you lose that game? It's it's just it's it's awful, it's awful. But um, what also just kind of go back on you know when Nate was saying about the tradition between OU and Nebraska. I saw a video on Facebook today of the Oklahoma football team after they played Kent State last week from their page, and you can tell how much this means to Brent Venable. Um on Saturday because after last week's game against Kent state after Oklahoma won 33 to three, he didn't say, Hey, nice win boys. We're going to celebrate this one for 24 hours. We're going to come back tomorrow and get ready for Nebraska. No, he goes in the locker room. He goes Saturday boys. This is special. OU Nebraska is part of college football history. You better get your chin straps up and you're ready to play. So it's just, it's cool that, you know, these coaches know how important this is. And, you know, Venables, he didn't, he didn't waste 24 seconds to tell his team how much they needed it. And uh, it'll, it'll be fun to see that atmosphere on Saturday. And I'm looking forward to it. For sure. Yeah. And we'll move over back to, uh, over to uh, stick within our, within our teams. Michigan played Hawaii last week. Michigan took care of them. Big news. JJ McCarthy has been named the starter for the rest of the year. Deservedly show. So he showed out in his first start. There felt like there was some more juice to the team, more energy. Just the crowd was fed off his energy. But I was very disappointed, Grant. The, the, the Michigan fans were booing Cade McNamara, a guy that. So what was that? About? Was he booing him on the sideline? Did he come in in the fourth quarter? He, I, I heard that today. He played in, He played a little bit in the second quarter. And he, when he came in, it he didn't. It, he got. He took a sack. It wasn't his fault. He didn't have any time. Hawaii yeah. game made made a nice move around him. It, it just kind of offense kind of like lost its luster. And then he had a really bad interception where he didn't gave uh, threw it pretty much to a Hawaii defender. Yeah. He didn't give get enough juice on it to get it over towards where it was either going to be a play for the receiver or it was going to go out of bounds incomplete, uncatchable. Yeah, but I think there was just so much excitement about JJ McCarthy. I'm sure that the the weather delay gave people fans more time to get a little bit juiced up, and it, as passionate as Michigan fans are, I I was very disappointed in it. But I also cannot say I I'm shocked because there's times where Michigan fans that you see around like. You know, the, the, I always like to say, go blue. Some of them where I've gone to bigger cities, they aren't that as receptive of it, kind of snobbish. And 
you hear that about some of them too, and it's, yeah. it's unfortunate. But I, I it, it's that you can be excited for JJ McCarthy and the future he has at Michigan because it's very bright and there's a lot of reasons for optimism. And you can also be happy for Cade McNamara because Cade McNamara is a captain. He did things nobody has done since we were in element early elementary school. He is a leader. The guys love him. And at some point, who knows, J.J. McCarthy could get hurt. We're going to have to lean on Cade to make plays, and it's going to happen. So we need to be supportive. I shouldn't say we. I hate when fans do that. I'm not a Green Bay Packer fan. But Michigan (laughs) fans need to be supportive of him because, in the end, everybody wants the same goal. And is is Cade happy about it, about being benched? No, of course not. But he also knows. He wants what's best for the entire team. And he's going to be a good teammate. He's going to be a good leader. I a thousand percent no. And they, they showed when one of the walk-ons got a touchdown late in the game, he was there smiling, clapping, cheering him on. And you look back at the Ohio State game when J.J. McCarthy came into the game, delivered a flea flicker. It pans over to the camera as McCarthy's running off. It shows Cade clapping and pointing at him like, at a boy. Mm-hmm. So... I, I, w- I was disappointed in that Michigan plays UConn. Hopefully JJ can build off that and keep going because I, I love the way this offense is going. I think JJ gives them an added dimension with his legs and another level of excitement that he can bring. And if Michigan is in a spot where like in the playoff next year, if they're able to make it this having JJ gives his legs and his ability because when he throws the ball, he throws it. And it, it, the ball just comes off his arm. It's beautiful. And if that can help him get him over the hump, Cade's going to be his number one fan supporting him. I 1,000% believe that. Well, then also, it, it, you know, it puts Cade in a tough spot because, you know, last year's Michigan record with him as starting quarterback is 12-2. and two. You get to your first Big Ten title game. You win the conference. You beat Ohio State. You're one of the four teams in the college football playoff. And even then, you come into this year, it's not your – you're not named the starter, and you're slowly watching this five-star quarterback who everybody wanted last year take the job away from you all the hours. You put it in the film room in the weight room. And building those relationships with those teammates, it's just – it's kind of – almost like the rug is taken right out, right out underneath from you kind of not in a different way here, but like, you know, when Alex Smith lost his job in San Francisco uh, to Colin Kaepernick, you know, Alex, he got a concussion against the Rams that knocked him out. And then what Colin brought to that Niners offense, kind of like what you said with JJ with his legs and that arm strength he has is just a different dimension to this offense where, and look at the head coach, coach Harbaugh, He's sitting back and he's saying, you know, JJ can help me take this offense over the top, you know, to the next level and compete um, and, and reach the ultimate goal, which is winning a national title. You know, that year, the Niners, they lost in the Super Bowl, but unfortunately the year before Alex only took them to a loss in the semifinal, like what Kate had against Georgia. So I think Michigan fans, they're so passionate. They just, they're so excited to see JJ. They maybe didn't mean it any harm or malicious intent to Cade when they were booing him? Who knows? They could have been booing the coaching staff 
saying, no, keep JJ in this game. We don't want to see Cade. I'm not trying to defend these Michigan fans here, but you know, fans are short for fanatic and, and there's crazy, they're crazy people out there. But like I said, I, I just think JJ brings something to this offense that Michigan fans hadn't seen in a while. And they're excited to see it. And they want to see more of it, even if it is against Hawaii and in the rain. Yeah. And they got UConn this week. They're 47 and a half point favorites. Don't expect them to have much of a problem and, getting through and them. And then it's the first play. Is Maryland. it is Maryland, right? Yeah. Yep. And then, um, then they, they got the big one between, between they got, uh, yeah. Iowa. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a shame because coming in the year, week five, um, second conference game for both teams. We're kind of thinking this could this could be a fun game, an early test, you know, for both teams. But you know, unfortunately, Iowa's sake, they're just Parachute. their off their offense has just been just putrid, and it, it looks you know Michigan's going to come in there and just probably blow the brakes right off of them. Because another thing with Iowa here is this top ten defense that they might have, if they continue to be on the field as much as they are, like that twenty one play drive against Iowa State that top 10 defense is going to go to a top 30 defense because they're going to be worn out. And it's just, it's just not going to work out for them. Especially when you're playing the horses that Michigan has with how fast they are and, and how they're going to come at you in waves. It's, it's just tough. Yeah. Well, it, 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 game is played at Kinnick. I don't think they have a time announced yet, but nope. I, 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 Kinnick gives me nightmares that place. I love it when Michigan isn't playing there. I've had a lot of great memories. I don't remember, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, your point, the last two times Michigan's been at Kinnick, they've lost. Yeah. And it, it, both times they've been. Well, no, that the one was Junior Hemingway caught that ball. You know it. Hey, what did the refs call? Like what MJ said. What did the refs call? Oh, oh boo. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did the refs call? What can I say? Jordan didn't and, push off Hemingway, didn't catch that football. And uh, yeah, well, we'll move over. Texas Alabama played last week, lived up to the height. We talked about Texas. Texas played. They deserve. They probably should have won that game. Quinn Ewers getting hurt didn't help. But we said that Texas has to make Alabama kick field goals in the red area. Texas can't settle for field goals in the red area. Well, both 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 happened. In the end, I think Gary Patterson deserves a tremendous amount of credit for the game plan he helped put in to neutralize Alabama. Because, But at the end of the day, that, that game showed why Bryce Young won the Heisman last year. The guy made plays when he had to. Things weren't going well for him. But in crunch time, winning time comes around, he rose to the occasion. He made plays. He got him into field goal range. And it's unfortunate Quinn Ewers got hurt because – I think the guy is the real deal. When he was at Ohio State, I said he was Tate Martell 2.0. Now that he went to Texas, I, he's, he's not Tate Martell 2.0. He, the guy can sling the ball, mm-hmm. and I hope he can come back healthy because that is a – that him and Steve Sarkeesian are for the next couple of years are going to be something special. And I thought it was very – I think Texas – Texas could compete in the Big 12 this year, I think. I think – I think the Ewers, the Ewers injuries hurts, but I think they have enough talent on there, and they looked good on the D-line, and they good, looked good on the offensive line against the really good Alabama fronts. And, and 
I was listening to Joel Klatt talk about this on his podcast. He talked about when he went and visited with Sark was how when he got there, everything was about Texas was back, is Texas back. They didn't realize everything they had to do. And this is where what Sark got from Alabama and -hmm. learned from Nick Saban is they fell in love with Texas being back, but they didn't fall in. They They didn't fall in love with the catch. Yeah, they – the, the chase of chase. doing all the little things like we talked about with Nebraska with Nate about people of character, people managers, building a culture, what you're doing on Tuesday in the game plan, focusing on that, building up, focusing on those minor details that are going to make the difference between winning and losing. I think under Sark, I think his time at Alabama under Nick Saban, he learned how to do that. And Texas, maybe not this year. Maybe not next year, but within three years, I expect them to be in a college football playoff. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 right there with you, dude. And um, because I think finally, finally, Texas, they finally have a coach and a coaching staff where they realize just because we have all this talent doesn't mean we're gonna win games. You have to fall in love with football. You know, like what also liked what Joel Klatt said, by the way, how, how great is his podcast for college football? It is. Oh, need, I love it. We've needed that for years. So I'm, and I'm glad it's here. But, um, you you know, the Monday morning meetings at 730 that Coach Saban has, the Tuesday morning meetings at 730. And then also when Coach Saban, when he takes his team out to um, his his lake, lake house in Georgia, the team building that you have on that when you're in the weight, when you're in the weight room, your your conditioning program in the summer. That's that's how you win all these games, and that's how you build a program. And I think I think Texas is going to get there. And like you said, maybe not this year, but it was nice to see last year's recruiting class for the Horns. A lot of defensive linemen, a lot of linebackers, a lot of a lot of offensive linemen. Well, look at the two positions groups that I think played the best for Texas on on Saturday when I rewatched that game. Their, their offensive line, for the most part, kept Quinn up. Dallas Turner, Will Anderson, Henry Toa Toa, they're going to get hit on your quarterback. It, it's inevitable. But they didn't let Alabama run the ball besides the 181 yarder. And you just need to continue building that depth and making sure these guys love football. Um, but I did hear today also that there's a chance Quinn could come back by that Oklahoma I, game. I heard that too. I Well, he, so, he said their day. Uh, so I thought I saw Sark say that they're day to day. Him. Both him and Card. I think I think Ewers Quinn's more two to two to three weeks ish, um, but but Card is is that day to day. Okay. Um, and you know th- th- I'm not gonna lie, they're gonna need Hudson this week against Texas San Antonio because Texas San Antonio is a good team. Um, and you just you hope Texas doesn't have an emotional letdown from putting all their eggs in the basket last week, trying to beat Alabama, coming up just close, like what Sark said. We didn't lose that game. We ran out of time. Um, and if they're like these old Texas teams, they'd sit back and they'd come out flat and they'd fall on their face um, this Saturday. So that'll be something something to watch. How does, how does Texas come out in that first quarter of this game after such an emotional high last week, playing against a team – who wants to kick their ass because these players probably felt like, hey, I was good enough to go to this school. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there. And we'll move over. 
a little bit more west because NDSU plays Arizona this week on FS1 on ni- at 9 p.m. Mountain Time. NDSU's first FBS game since 2016 where they beat Iowa on a last-second field goal. Sorry, Grant, this has turned into a little bit of a dump-on-Iowa podcast here. but That's all right. That's all right. But NDSU was supposed to play Oregon in 2020 because of COVID. So oh, they got yeah. the Wildcats this year or on Saturday at 9 p.m. Uh, big question for me is, is NDSU's front seven going to be able to handle Arizona? They're very inexperienced. One of their top guys, Eli Mostart, went out uh, with a leg injury. It sounds like it's possible he can come out, come back at the end of the year, but he's gone for this game. I think I, I like NDSU at the on the back end, but – as we have, Grant and I have been saying for years, and as you'll learn, football, we believe football is one in the trenches. If NDSU can get pressure with four guys and consistently get Arizona's quarterback, whose name is escaping me, he played at Washington State last year. If they can consistently get pressure on him and not having to blitz and make him run for his life, I like NDSU's chances. I think they'll be able to run the ball and move it. Move the ball from 20 to 20. Hunter Lipke is going to be a stud. I do, I think, a big question too, going on the offensive side of the ball is who is going to emerge as that top target for Cam Miller? I'm I'm looking at Zach Mathis, Grant. He's caught two touchdowns on the year. He caught one in both games. He is looking, he's built like a Christian Watson, not as fast. And this is his fifth year. This has been a make or break year. This is a guy I've been watching for since he committed, hoping for him to come and emerge onto that spot and be like a Watson because of his size. Because he was one of the first ones that NDSU was able to recruit that had size. Because you look over, look down the south where Winnicky Goddard at South Dakota State, NDSU never mm-hmm. was able to have that. They finally got him. And now Zach Mathis, I think, is emerging as the number one guy. He's going to have to have a big game. Lipke, they're going to – NDSU is going to run the ball. I think Cole Payton, Omaha kid that we talked about that I forgot to mention to Nate, mm-hmm. who's got a late walk-on offer from Scott Frost, but he's playing for the Bison. He's a left-handed slinger. He threw the ball. He looked pretty good throwing it on Saturday. But I, I think they might take the reins off him. They might – I hope they take the reins off Lipke. And – if, N- if NDSU can get consistent pressure on Arizona, make it uncomfortable for their quarterback, I like NDSU's chances. This game right now, had it, when it opened on Monday, it was a pick em. Now NDSU, the last time I saw, I believe it was on five dimes, was NDSU was a point, point and a half favorite. And on Odd Shark, and they, Odd Shark predicted NDSU to win 31-17. Interesting. Interesting. And the the one big thing I'm going to want to be curious about is NDSU's conditioning level. Because it's going to be it's going to be hot because I'm just looking up, looking up the weather in Tucson here. You know, Saturday, it's going to be a high of 99, but the game's not going to be played between 12 and 3 p.m. There there in Arizona. So that's okay. But by by kickoff, it's going to be 87. How, How do the Bison adjust? Um, to that heat and to your point can they 
Can they slow Arizona's running game down if they have any? And can they get after the quarterback um, consistently enough to end these Arizona drives? Because if they can't, and they got to keep rushing and keep rushing and keep, keep rushing, you just you worry that they might get worn out and they're not going to be able to get after it too much. Just because the hardest thing to do in football is rush the passer. It's the most exhausting thing to do. You do it three, four, five plays in a row. You just you have no gas. Uh, left in the tank. So that this will be a good measuring stick for how well NDSU's practice um, their coaching staff and how well they run a practice to see their conditioning level when they go to, uh, you know, a part of the country that, let's be honest, not many people can prepare for. You can't prepare for that Arizona sun on, on unless you're there. But I wouldn't be surprised if NDSU wins this game. And when they do, this will be the last FBS team that they play. Oh, no, because Kansas. No. They have Colorado State on the schedule in 2024. Sorry, this will be the last but... <laughs> power five because Iowa, Minnesota, Kansas, Kansas State, Arizona. Um, if there's another school, I'm Iowa State. These power five teams are going to be like, I'm sick of paying this school 800,000 to 1.3, like what Nebraska just played Georgia Southern this past weekend to get my butt whooped. They're going to, they're going to be done with these guys that they know that NDSU is going to come in and more than likely win this game. So the FB, power five schools might be like, eh, you know what? I'm, I'm done scheduling these guys. Cause they're going to come in here and they're going to kick my ass. Well, so a couple of things. I, did I say Colorado state? I meant Colorado. So another pack 12 okay. team in 2024, I believe the payout for this one, I want to say is four twenty five. Also not that bad. No, still a lot of money. But mm-hmm. the one thing I will say with the conditioning is, is in NDSU's back pocket is, is they do have, I think, the best strength coach in college football in Jim Cramer. He has a track record. When you look at that Kansas State game in 2013 where they played, he had those guys that NDSU's endurance and conditioning outlasted Kansas State when you were if you go back and watch that game NDSU players were not cramping Kansas State players were and it it and it's it's FBS FCS it's as far coaches can say it all they want but I think players look at it oh these guys are FCS it's from North Dakota they're I think there is a little bit of a shock. I think there's times where guys underestimate it because even for how many times they've won, they go from SEC to FBS it, or FCS, excuse me. I think that's a real thing in these games. So we'll see. I, I'm, I, if NDSU is, once that line appears where I'm able to bet it, I, I'm betting on NDSU to win because, mm-hmm. duh, you never – Rule number one, Grant, you never go against the family. But also rule number two, never bet on sporting events. It's a horrible idea. <laughs> who said, who, who, what, what rule? Who, who is, who's giving you these rules? My personal rule, never bet oh. on sporting events. Well, I, I don't listen to your rules. I don't, yeah, I, that's, that's, that I have one rule and that's never go against the family. Just like Michael Corleone told Fredo. And we'll we'll move over. We'll move over to the NFL. Cowboys. 
I, it's the same team as last year. There, there, there's nothing that gives me hope. Unless they fire Mike McCarthy, which I was really hoping Jerry was going to do after week one. They looked awful. Penalties still the same. The defense, I'll give them credit. They played well. They hung in there. Michael Parsons, they were able to get pressure on Tom Brady, hold him to field goals, only gave up the one touchdown. But then after the, the script for Dallas on offense, they, they looked awful. Zeke looked like the same Zeke. Tony Pollard comes in, they get five, six yards of carry. I will say Tyler Smith in his first start played really well. There's reasons for optimism there, but Dak is hurt. He's out six to eight weeks. And Cooper Rush, I think he's a nice player in spots, but he can win you a game here and there like he did against Minnesota on Sunday night football. But he's not going to win eight games. Their their season's over. They're not making playoffs. They they're going to be competing with the Giants for last place in the East at this point. And I think the worst thing that happened to this organization was Jerry Jones thinking that Zeke Elliott was Emmett Smith 2.0. Um, why you pay a running back that much money and reward him for getting worse every single season? with an offensive line that has been injured, unfortunately, every single season. I just do not, do not understand. And in today's world in the NFL, to just give Amari Cooper to Cleveland um, and not have any depth behind CeeDee Lamb as your backups when Michael Gallup is hurt and James Washington is also hurt. Throwing fade routes to a guy that was playing the Bison last year. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's it's a it's it's a it's an accident waiting to happen. Insert our Stephen A. Smith line. No, 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 no. They're they're not an accident waiting to happen. They are an accident. Uh, yeah, it's. I think I, I you're right, dude. I I think I think it's done. Um, this season is is over. I think Dallas should be looking into the off season. How much money can we throw at Sean Payton? To come to come be our head coach, <laughs> um, you know that that hashtag is going to start here. Real, you know real what? I, I I hope Kellen Moore is gone too, because he doesn't do anything. He will. Yeah, he doesn't and, adjust. But he's going to be a head coaching candidate. He's going to get a head coaching job somewhere. But for what? Outside of the fifteen plays, he doesn't adjust to anything. Mm-hmm. What? In the that he doesn't look at the script and see he, or I don't know if he doesn't have guys watching or. He just looks at the plays and says this, but he doesn't look for, you know, we could set up this off this run. We can set up this off a play. Look what's open. If we come, we can come back to this. We can hit a guy on the backside. Yeah. It, it's the same old charade. And there, there's nothing that gives me hope. And the only re- reason is, is if Jerry puts his pride, pride aside and lets somebody give, gives full control over to somebody that cares about the betterment of the team about than about themselves. Well, and that's not going to happen because you got to remember going back to the nineties, Jerry got in his feelings because those first two Super Bowl teams, people were saying it was Jimmy Johnson's teams and not his. And the third one was still Jimmy Johnson's. Team. And the third one was still, Jimmy even Johnson's. though he wasn't, even though he didn't get the credit for it. It was, that was Jimmy Johnson's was, team. And then look at that ever since then, not being back to an, an NFC championship game. What getting the d- divisional round one time, twice, twice. Okay, two times. Well, technically, technically, I guess you could say 
I guess four because in 07. Okay, they were yeah, the one the first, seed. first round buys and, and doing that. But so winning one playoff. And then 16, they were the one seed as well, yeah. but they lost to. But still, their, one and done their, in 16. Dad, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, one and done in seven. And, you know, besides that, winning what? Three playoff games since since then? Since that 95 Super Bowl? It's just, it's, it's, it's you know, frankly, just embarrassing. And, you know, Jerry Jones, I'm, he's never going to put his ego to the side. As long as he is the owner of this team and his son is still around, this is, this is unfortunately what the Cowboys are going to be. Well, and I think, I think Stephen is okay. It, it's Jerry. And Jerry, Jerry should just handle the business side of working on contract sponsorship, that this type of thing, and let Stephen and Will McClay handle the football stuff because Stephen's been – he was the one that drafted Z, uh, Dak. He was mm-hmm. the one that told, that told Jerry to shut up. We're not taking Johnny Manziel. We're going to draft Zach Martin, who's going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm, I'm done talking about the Cowboys. They play the Bengals. They're seven-and-a-half-point underdogs. They'll probably lose. I'm going to watch. I'll probably come back on the podcast next week with this same tone, but not as maybe depressed because I kind of have expected it. But we'll move over. Vikings looked really good in Kevin O'Connell's debut as head coach for the Vikings. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and – company they looked a little bit sluggish christian watson dropped first play of the game and that kind of looked like it was setting the tone i think after that i think everybody in the stadium everybody watching that game thought the vikings were going to win and if you're if you're a fan of minnesota you have to be extremely encouraged about this game well because like like we've said since march dylan this new vikings brass is coming in and saying all the faults this team had last year was because of the general manager and the head coach. Well, we don't have a large sample size, but we're one of one. And their relationship with the quarterback. And the relationship with the players and the quarterback, because this looked like a whole new team out there. They looked energized. They looked focused. They wanted to go out and play for that head coach. And they were playing loose. Um, and you can just tell by listening to these players after the game and before the game, into this offseason, they love the system that both coaches on the offensive and defensive side have implemented. And they're having, they're having fun with it. I saw a stat uh, earlier today. I think the Vikings were in 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, 63% of the time on Sunday, which almost doubled what they did last year. And the only team to come close to that was, was the Rams. And when they were in that 11 personnel with those three receivers, it was the same three, Thielen, Jefferson, and Os- Osborne. With all the, the pre-step motion setting guys up for success, they just they looked like they were having fun, and this is something that they could buy into. Um, so it's, it's a great start. Um, Still, I'm not going to, you know, praise and say the Vikings have a top 10 defense. You know, sure, they only gave up seven points. But, you know, Green Bay, they still got a little work to do developing those receivers with Aaron. Um, so, you know, it be a good test for the Vikings this Monday night against Philadelphia because they look pretty damn competitive. Um, last, last week against Detroit, putting up 38 points. And A.J. Brown having, you know, 10 catches for what? Was 155 yards? Something like that, yeah. Yards. 
right away with his new quarterback. So uh, Monday night will be a great test, but you know, this Vikings team looked great. And like we said, also, if Darius and Daniil can stay healthy throughout the year, watch out because there was hell to pay on Sunday when those two were on the field and they were playing in different spots and they were getting after Aaron. Um, so yeah, watch out for these two boys. They look like they're on a mission this year. Yeah, for sure. And that game is in, in Philadelphia, if I believe. It is in Philadelphia. Yeah. So that is a, uh, that's always a tough place to play. We'll see. It's going to be Monday night. I'm excited to check it out and, uh, we'll move over to your chiefs grant. They play tonight against the chargers. Arrowhead is looking incredible. The uh, honoring of 50th anniversary of the stadium Mm -hmm. going back to some old retro designs. It looked pretty cool. I was a fan of it. And we're, we're looking pretty good grant about our uh, MVP predictions of Patrick Mahomes being the guy. You know, we're not bad. I don't like that smirk you have, by the way, I, I, I pick, I pick the chiefs to win, but I don't want them to go that far in the playoffs. It's just kind of fun because go back to March you get the breaking news on your phone. Tyreek was traded to Miami for five for five total picks. And you're thinking the world is ending. There is no football team. Uh, the football gods hate us. The one Super Bowl is all the Chiefs are going to get. That's, that's We can't do it. And then you have time to sit back, let your emotions cool down a little bit. And you're like, hmm, Travis Kelsey, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Cole Hardman has, has had some good moments in his first three years. Sign MVS, and then you bring in Juju on a one-year deal. Oh, and some guy named Andy Reid still calling the plays and designing an offense. Good things are going to happen, and that all happened on Sunday. You know, it, it was fun to watch Patrick stepped up for the moment where he, he lost Tyreek um, Travis's first touchdown. He just threw Isaiah Simmons off him. He said, "Nope, not today." Uh, and got to the corner there, but Andy was dialing up plays to get guys open, and then Patrick had a couple throws where you're just like, "That is." criminal and illegal how he threw it over this defender right into Travis's hands um this is the kind of the offense I thought we'd see Andy getting guys open Patrick stepping up to the moment and these receivers um knowing they had a lot to prove and they did um you know McCall, Patrick missed McColl on a couple long touchdowns that he would have had Tyreek on last year but then um, MVS had four catches for 40 yards. Uh, Juju had six catches for 50. Travis with seven, 120 to touch. You get Clyde Edwards Hilaire, two touchdowns in the air. And then um, the seventh round pick from Rutgers, um, Isaiah with a rushing touchdown there. It was great to see. But what was all almost more, um, imp- more impressive was the pressure that the chiefs put on Kyler all day, they got him on the ground twice, but he was always running for his life, trying to make plays, trying to scramble. Uh, the Cardinals offense wasn't in sync. They couldn't get James Conner going. People were like, Oh, they gave up 21 points. Well, at one point the game was 37 to seven. The game was over. They got back in that shell defense. And they said, if you want to go down and get a couple garbage time touchdowns, you know, that's okay. So it's just all around a great week one. And another thing, dude, you can guarantee this. Chiefs and Chargers on a Thursday night. Oh, boy, is it going to be a wild finish on Thursday, and it's, it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, so, well, let's talk about that game. That game is Thursday night. 
going to be, I, I think, incredible atmosphere. Chiefs home opener on a Thursday night against a team a lot of people have projecting to win the AFC West. We question if they have a brain or not, but mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of talent on that team. Curious to see how the Chiefs are going to be able to handle the pass rush of Mac, Bosa, Tillery in the middle. We'll see. And there's some questions at corner linebacker for the Chargers. If they're able to get pressure, it's not it's going to cover up a lot of those deficiencies. But if the Kansas City O line gets is able to protect Mahomes and keep him upright, I there I don't I think this is going to be a two possession game at the end of the night. And uh no sacks last week. The Chiefs offensive line gave up. Um you know, that's big. Um, and, and you're, you're exactly right. If, if Mac, if, if he has anywhere near three sacks again this week and they force, you know, two or three interceptions, like they had Derek Carthrow last week, this game's going to be ugly. Um, but with the Chargers, what scares you is they had all that pressure defensively and they still only won by five points. Uh, you know, you should, should have closed the Raiders out and, you know, beat them by 11, 12, 14 points, but, um, We'll see in the Chargers, they've had some success in Arrowhead. You know, they won last year, the year before the COVID year, you know, they won, but that doesn't count because it was week 17. Patrick is out, the starters got rested. So this this Chargers team is not going to be afraid to come into Arrowhead and play because they also won there in, you know, 2018 on a Thursday night too. Yep. So it's, it's going to be a lot of fun and I can't wait. Yeah. Mahomes, Herbert, we're going to get that twice a year for the next 10, 15 years, hopefully. Mm-hmm. It's going to start tomorrow night. And we'll go over any uh, any other games around the NFL to catch your eye in week one? Uh, in, in, in week one, um, just, just the absolute wildness that was the end of that Cincinnati-Pittsburgh game. <laughs> um, okay, yes, I, I, I do want to talk about this because and, and then Cincinnati just, lost their – loses their long snapper and it was talked a lot about on the broadcast yes and so cincinnati scores with one second left and cincinnati's lining up to kick the pat and they're making a big talk about this long snapper being out the long snapper on that play he made a good snap but the linemen make the one sin that you are taught the first thing you learn about on pat is you always block to the inside. You don't block to the outside. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who it was. Blocks to the outside. Allows Minka Fitzpatrick to go right through. Block it. Go to overtime. They lose. Well, dude, that's that's why LSU lost this year against yep. Florida State. Because that tight end got nervous. He tried to chip the guy on his outside shoulder. And the dude on the inside went rushing right across his face and blocked the kick. Um so yeah, it's just it's it's crazy how you think. Oh, it's a PAT. You block it. You you know, it shouldn't be that hard. Well, it's a lot harder than you think, and a lot of people don't do it right. Yeah. Well, and you could tell, which is another thing too. We could bring up. You could tell that the Bengals' offensive line did not play together in preseason because they still gave up a handful of sacks. Joe was Burrow was sacks. running for his life. Seven sacks again. Yep. And. Joe Burrow threw four interception. There was some rust, Super Bowl hangover. I don't know. Maybe I think maybe. a combination of new offensive line, 
Joe Burrow having that um, his appendix taken out this summer, and then starters not playing in the preseason. Yeah, and well, the other part is Zach Taylor's the head coach. Oh, he's awful. But <laughs> uh, he's awful. Um, but it was I the starters playing in the preseason. I the Vikings didn't do it. They looked good, but I think some of it is is. The Vikings, their offense is pretty much fairly similar. Uh, front five, I think there's a couple of guys that are different. Quarterback, running back, receivers, tight ends. Irv Smith hasn't played a lot, but he's been in that Viking system. So mm-hmm. th- th- Kirk and him have some chemistry together. And I understand that it is a new system, but when you have that chemistry and you know the timing routes, the timing of routes of where guys are going to be and when they're going to be there in depth that that can cover up because they've been playing together for Jefferson three cousins five or six. So I, I think there's, that's, that's a big part of it, but there's a lot of teams look at the, look at the Broncos Broncos Seahawks game. Didn't play in the preseason new quarterback always an abysmal offensive line, new receivers together, your running backs, new head coach who might just be a glorified gym teacher at this point. But I, it, I, I think you can not play guys in the preseason and have it work for you. But if I'm an NFL head coach, I would say we're, our, our starters are going to play. Well, and look at, look at the chiefs. Yeah, exactly. Andy- Andy plays his off his starters every single game. The starting defense gave up zero touchdowns in the preseason. The offense scored against the Bears, scored twice against against the Commanders, and Patrick didn't play in that last game against the Packers, but he came out, you know, for the Len Dawson um, choir huddle. But then Henny took him. They didn't score with Henny there, but at least Patrick and that offense got going. The starters played, and they looked like they were they were in midseason form. So also, I think, you know, in contrast, the Vikings they don't play their starters, but they look like they're in midseason form too. It just it shows how good and how structured the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Vikings and the Eagles, all four of those teams, how structured their offseason and training camp was because their coaching staffs did a fantastic job to get those guys ready to play. Yeah. And it's the Packers, another team didn't play anybody in the preseason. And this is becoming a trend now with green Bay where they come out and they lay an egg week one. And the difference is this year is you don't have Devontae Adams to come back with in week two when, when you're playing Detroit, um, like they were last year where Aaron can kind of say E-R-L-A-X, relax. We got Devontae, him, me and him, we got that chemistry down. It's going to take a while for them to build that. Um, and if you're a Green Bay fan, that's worrisome because they're not practicing as much in the week anymore. So you really got to get that down. Same with Denver. It took them two and a half quarters to get their wide receivers involved. Jerry Judy, a top 12 pick. Cortland Sutton, a guy you're high on coming off a torn ACL a couple of years ago. And we're throwing our first seven passes to tight ends and running backs. Come on now. Come on, Nathaniel Hackett. You got to be better than that. 
Well, he was the uh, he was the he was the genius of the Packers red zone office offense last year, and <laughs> but yeah, but he, he all the, the, that same guy also wasted forty seconds after trading three first round draft picks and paying a quarterback two hundred fifty million to kick a sixty four yard field goal. And oh, it's, it's it's coaching malpractice. I. I'm, I'm, I'm a thousand percent convinced. I am a better game manager than some of these NFL coaches. I, it, I, I look at it. It's just what, are, what are we doing? They're, 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 they're play callers. They're not game managers. They're which you're, you as, as a head coach, you are supposed to be the CEO of the team. You're supposed to put guys in spots, get them there, have somebody call play. I think it's proven that it can work. But you you need to have guys you can depend on and trust Sat or Monday to Saturday to mm-hmm. be in the meeting room for game planning. And then if you want to call play if they have the head coach call plays, but oh some of the, the, the coaching, it, it it's not coaching, it's play calling. Mm-hmm. And there's there there's a lot of play callers and not a lot of game managers. We have in the head coaching ranks. I'll also add on another team, the Baltimore Ravens. I know Lamar didn't play much in the preseason, but a lot of their starters did. Well, they go out there and they do what they do. They dominate a team in week one. And they should they dominate. Just, they, look, they look great doing it. Um, so, yeah, preseason play matters in this league, but also coaching and how you structure your practices. And of those teams I just mentioned, three of the five – or are either Andy Reid or his disciples and, you know, John Harbaugh and Sean McDermott. And then I thought the commanders, um, you know, played a good game too. They got down late, you know, old teams in the past that would have folded, but Carson came back with a nice fourth quarter and they got a big win to be one and know on the air. Yeah. And are there, uh, we'll, we'll move over to week two. Are there any games off the top of your head that pique your interest? You know, this, you're going to be watching. This is kind of a tough week. You know, you take away yeah. you take away Chiefs Chargers on Thursday night, and then you also take away Vikings Eagles on Monday night. And then also this is the week of the doubleheader. You got Bills Titans. Yeah. The Sunday games, it's it's not a real good slate. No, I think the top two on paper would be I mean, Bengals Cowboys, which is the 225 game. So Lord help us. Yep. Yeah. And then after that, the only one that I'm, I really, that really piqued my interest. You know, Bucks Saints at Saints, noon. Saints Bucks at eleven. Saints Bucks at, at you know at that or the early kickoff. That'll be the best game of that early window. And you know the Sunday night game with Packers Bears. I just I don't know what to think about that game. Um, Raiders Cardinals, because even if the bear the 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 Niners Trey Lance made his first start. There's, I think he played okay, but I. The, that field was so bad. I think every it just neutralized yeah. everything. You can't take a whole lot from that game. George Kittle was out, yep. and he came out good. They schemed him wide open, and then they had some Debo fumbles. And at the end, he didn't play great, but it was also in a monsoon and basically the puddle bowl. Yeah. So 
not a whole lot you can take from that. And yeah, this is this is a very this is quite a pretty weak slate. This it's uh, not a it's not a good week of oh, Sunday games. No Thursday Thursday game is great. Thursday game's two, good. Monday games are both great. The two Monday games are both good. It's just that Sunday window is kind of eh. You know, this year unless unless you got a team playing, it's not a. And also the Dak injury hurts that that afternoon yep. game because it's not like you got Dak and Burrow facing off with each other. It's it's Joe Burrow against Cooper Rush without Amari Cooper and and no Michael Gallup. It's just the CD Lamb show. It's 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 tough if you're if you're the Cowboys and if you're a Cowboy fan. Yeah. Uh any any games in college that are gonna pique your interest? Uh the big big one for me is um in College Station, Texas A and M, Miami. Yep, two teams seem to be heading in their opposite direction. Mario Cristobal <laughs> down there in Miami. You know the Canes are two and zero. They're feeling confident. They're playing good football, which they haven't done in five years. I mean, since that 2017 year with Mark Ricks, they have just been awful in the laughing stock in the state of Florida. And then Texas A and M. I mean, a team whose fan base is delusional. <laughs> just just because they spend 300 million dollars you know on new facilities um the recruits they're bringing in their head coach and just because they have the name texas in their school name they think they're they're a good football program and it's like well you just lost to appalachian state your offense put up 186 yards of offense that day when carolina put up 60 points the week before um it's 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 do or die time for AM and this is a game that they have they have to win yeah I mean, they if they lose this game when you still have to play arkansas you still have to play alabama you still have to play an lsu team that's going to get better auburn Ole miss you know people in college station they don't want to they don't want to talk about this but in the last 10 years, you've had a Johnny Manziel year, a weird COVID year where you went nine and one. And besides that, of those eight years, you've only, besides that, you've finished in the top 25 twice. It's like I said, it's just, it's, it's a horrible look for that, that school and to fire Kevin Sullivan and bring Jimbo Fisher in. The results have been worse. Yeah. In terms of this, they have better recruits. In theory, they have better players. On their roster, and they're they're barely getting over eight wins a year. Um, so yeah, that Texas A and M Miami game, I'll be interested to see. And then uh, going to the Gopher game on Saturday afternoon, you know, here here in Minneapolis, uh, it'll be fun to see this Gopher team in person. This defense that they had last year, young in the secondary, they're a little more experienced, they're fast. Um, you know, new defensive line. Um, you know, an experienced group of linebackers. We'll see if they can get after it. It's a Colorado team who's not that good, you know, in the Pac-12, but at least it's a power five school. Um, and then to see this offense, you know, under under Sriracha, where, you know, Tanner Morgan had his best year, and we'll just, we'll kind of see. And just, it, it's going to feel good to get back into college stadium to watch a game on Saturday. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Penn State, Auburn, that's going to be on CBS at 130. I mm-hmm two kind of middle-of-the-road teams in their respective divisions. And but that's a big game for both teams. because It, is. it, it because absolutely is. If Auburn can win, then their coach can sit back and say, hey, we beat a Power 5 school 
outside of our conference. Guys, what I'm preaching to you, it's getting home. And for Penn State, they haven't won many big road games since James Franklin's been there. And before you get into this Big Ten schedule, if you can beat Auburn and be 3-0 and say, shoot, in our first three games of the year, we won at Purdue on a tough Thursday night and then at Auburn, it's going to give Penn State some momentum going into the rest of the season in the thick of the Big Ten play. Oh, absolutely. It's We'll see what Sean Clifford's made of. Mm-hmm. I, I, it, that game's at 130. I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on that. Auburn, that, that's always a raucous crowd. Jordan Hare is going to be packed to the gills. Yep. It's going to be hostile for Penn State. We'll see how they handle it because in most years when Penn State has had to go onto the road against Michigan, Ohio State, that they won the game against Iowa in 2017 on the last play of the game, but yep. that's probably Fer- or Franklin's signature road win because he beat he beat Michigan in 2020 in the COVID year, but Cade McNamara got hurt, and it, it was it, it was the COVID year, so it, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. It's hard to count because you look at the COVID year. It was just that weird year. Indiana hasn't been the same since that year. Well, and then also with Penn State's troubles on the road, remember in 2019, <clears throat> they lost to TCF. Yep. You know, coming to that game, both teams were 8-0, and they 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 played awful. Minnesota played great, and, and the Gophers won that game. Yeah, and another game out west is BYU-Oregon. Two, or BYU had a big win against Baylor last, last week. Yep, double overtime. Oregon beat, took care of Eastern Washington. I think we're going to really see what this, this is another tough test. I think this is going to be, this is going to be more of a measuring stick for Dan Lanning than the Oregon game because. You mean the Georgia game? Or the Georgia game because the Georgia's by far and away the number one team in the country and it's not close right now. Yes. And I think these teams match up well. Oregon's a three and a half point favorite. Favorite that game kicks off at 130 Mountain Time in Ots, and that game is going to be on Fox. So that's one to keep an eye on. Kansas, Houston, Kansas is two and oh. We might be looking for the Jayhawks, folks. All they needed to win was another national title in basketball. And these football coaches, um, and players they got sick of it. They were like, you know what, this isn't a basketball school, rock chalk Jayhawks, yeah, and. I think Lance Leopold's a really good coach. I think that that's a guy Nebraska needs to zero in on. He has a little bit of history from Nebraska. I think he worked there as a GA or position coach at some point. Mm-hmm. I, that's a guy that can flat out coach. I, and I, when we went to Kansas city, we got to sit in, I got to sit in and listen to their offensive coordinator really liked some of the things he had he had. And, and Houston is one and one. they, they should have beaten Texas Tech last week in Lubbock, but they gave up a fourth and 16 and blew it. So I think this is a good me- measuring stick for Lance Leopold to see where his team is at. They travel to Houston. Houston's a nine-point favorite. Might might give that a little might, – might toy around with that. I think I might pick Kansas to cover. Mm-hmm. So that's all I got. Grant, I think those are those are the games we covered. I got Ethan has curveball of the week. And I can I, add I, one, one oh, yeah, thing, go ahead. One thing real quick on the coaching search. 
and there's going to be names left and right for Nebraska here. Um, but I don't know if this coach will want to leave the current city he's in in the program because he's built this program to what it is, and this team's never seen it before. But Matt Campbell from Iowa State to Nebraska makes almost all the sense in the world. Yep. Because Iowa State was an awful team. He built that program. And you know what they do in, in Ames? They play defense. Yeah, well, he has a famous quote. Five, five-star five culture beats five-star five players. Five-star players. Trev Alberts looking for a culture guy. That I'm just – I'm saying because you hear the name Dave Aranda and, you know, Sam Pittman and Urban Meyer and all these other people. I don't think that's going to happen. So, to me, Matt Campbell to Nebraska just almost makes too much sense. Yep. But we'll see if he wants to leave because I think he's very happy at And I think Iowa he State. is. But like I said, the one thing that might get him is the new look Big 12, no Texas, no Oklahoma. You bring in, you know, Cincinnati and Houston and some of these, I think maybe UCF too. Some of these smaller schools, the media deals aren't going to be there. Uh, if you could coach in the Big 12, the Big 10, excuse me, with these media deals and to still be in the Big 10 West, you know, he can sit back and say, I've played with Iowa. And if I can beat Iowa, I can beat I can beat Wisconsin and Minnesota. So it just that's a name for me to watch out because I, I think it makes sense. But we'll see. Again, Matt might be happy in names and he doesn't want to go. But if yeah. there is a year to leave, this would be the year. Oh, yeah, for sure. And there's not a lot on Nebraska's that come calling. So we'll see. We'll move over to curveball of the week. It is Ethan's turn. Hopefully he'll be able to join us next week. But I have I asked, texted him, got his question. This is what Curveball of the Week is, Grant. What is your favorite sports tradition? That's a good one. Favorite sports tradition. You know, for me, this is, I remember the first time ever seeing this before I think I was going in like eighth grade. And I remember thinking, oh my God, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And just the entrance, the energy, um, and the passion that these players and this fan base had for this entrance. It's is it is it is is it Broncos Country? Let's wrap. Uh, no, it's Broncos Country wide left part one. <laughs> um, but no, in this this tradition, it's it's Clemson um touching Howard's rock and coming onto the field on the hill you know, with the, the purple, um, you know, purple mat that says Clemson on there, you go, you see that you touch the rock, you run down the hill, you have the orange and white balloons going up in the air next to you. You know, last January I had the opportunity to go down to Charlotte, North Carolina to visit some friends and Clemson is just a quick two hour drive away. And to be able to see the scoreboard, where that rock is in front of and how big that stadium is and how you know you get 85,000 people in there seeing how it just drops onto the field, Howard's rock and those balloons and that entrance, man, I just, I can't get enough of that. Okay. Very interesting. And it is kind of cool because the locker room is on the opposite side. Opposite so they actually side. take a bus. They take a bus. The locker room the and the facility is on the other side of the stadium in, in a whole different street. And they, they blocked the bus off. You got the, all, you know, the big, the, 
the bronze tigers in front there, the huge scoreboard that says, you know, welcome to Death Valley Memorial Stadium, South Clemson, South Carolina. It's, it's just, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, well, I remember watching, it was the Clemson Georgia game in 2013 when I, I think it was the, for the first time people knew that, they, 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 they don't go through a tunnel and walk across. They actually take a bus over. A bus, and you yep. see the bus shaking. Guys are getting hyped. Yep. And then they come off, and then they're running down. It, 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 you, it, you can't get enough of it. it, it it's oh. what makes college football great. It's what makes us have so much love for this sport. Correct. Is those traditions. And for me, I think, I think mine's a pretty easy one. I think everyone's going to know it is touching that MGO blue banner. Mm-hmm. playing the victors the block m the band makes going up touching it you, you can't beat it and I, I go back to the 2021 michigan ohio state game the snow falling guys running off that tunnel one way in one way out mm-hmm. and then touching the banner and then michigan going out and playing is it I, I just can't wait to see it for the first time in person at some point in my life. And kind of along the lines of entrances, another one, um, Virginia Tech, entertainment, yep. that would just be, uh, I, I can't even put into words how cool that would be, the energy in that stadium, especially if you, we can get Virginia Tech to be in back to you know a good program like what they were in the early 2000s. That would just send chills, chills down your back. Absolutely. That. What else? The whiteout at Penn State is incredible. Penn State. The wave at Kinnick, which both you and I have gotten to do. Yep. This year, it absolutely has been the best part of an an Iowa game is the Kinnick wave. (sighs) Yeah, I mean, because the product on the field has been just like ninth grade freshman level. (laughs) Yeah. And, And these coaches are getting paid a lot of money to try to make these players better, and they're not doing it. And another, I think another underrated one that I don't think it's talked enough is calling the hogs at Arkansas in Fayetteville. In Fayetteville. Yes, mm-hmm. that I think that's one of the cooler ones that I've seen where well, you get the whole crowd yelling, chanting "Woo, pig, suey." Well, and did you know that every year at the University of Arkansas, their freshman class they break them up into pieces, and they have a thirty-minute session where they practice calling the hogs so we're at their first football game these freshmen they know the proper way to call call the hogs in when they do that yeah that that that's awesome and then mm-hmm. another i i guess we're just we're, we'll mention as many as we can think of here the ndsu is as good as it gets the thunderstruck blown running through the helmet yep very very cool we, we've gotten to see that a number of times trying to think here where else also, it's kind of I, i've heard a good i've heard good things about washington okay with the uh with the uh, the boat tailgates okay for another coat for just um the way i like the, the way iowa does it when they when you hear acdc back in yep. black come on on which is great and then you see the players coming down the tunnel the one problem i hate i don't i hate and really don't understand is they're standing in front of the student section for the song to finish. And then, you know, they, they come out, you know, running together, holding hands. And it's like almost play the song. And then when, once it's towards the end, then line up and run out together. 
but don't stand there for a minute and a half just kind of wait waiting for the song to end i feel like it kind of um makes the moment end already yeah. if you can play acdc and then you see them coming down the tunnel and then they don't waste any time they get in their lines they hold hands and they jog out together it'd be kind of cool but yeah and you hear back in black and it's like okay it's go time the smoke in miami the 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 chop at florida state florida state yep kansas city atlanta what else uh, don't back won't back down at the swamp in florida is incredible i i'm a huge fan of stadiums singing along together just yep. the bright side michigan stadium jump around i know we don't like wisconsin but that's that, that, that's cool. a pretty cool thing is getting the whole student section, whole stadium jumping around. And also, before seeing like a big game at Ohio Stadium, if you watch them dot the I with the band. I, I don't want to admit it, but that is that's pretty, pretty cool. cool the way they're able to do that's that. Yeah. Cool. Yep. It's like them bragging. Congratulations. You guys can spell. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they're, they're college students. I would hope they can sm- spell, but I, I, I understand that the standard is pretty low at Ohio State. Well, it's Ohio and, State. And, and, and with that, we're, we're, we're going to wrap her up here. We'll talk to you guys next week. Welcome back. Thanks again to Nate Rohr for joining us. Always good to hear from him. Actually, it's always great to hear from him. It will be interesting to see what Nebraska's next move is. As I said at the start of the show, we're going back to only one episode a week. It just didn't quite work with our busy schedules. But you can check us out on all of our social media platforms where we will be posting other content. Check out the Three Guys Talking Ball Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at 3GTB Podcast, where we will also be posting short clips of the show and other content. You can also check out our Three Guys Talking Ball YouTube page where we will be posting the full podcast if you want to see the video version. That wraps up this week's episode of the Three Guys Talking Ball podcast. Thank you again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.